The Legion itself wasn't anything to turn our noses up at. We knew that in the future this team would be as well-loved as many others to some fans, but for now, we were stuck with guest stars and short appearances that were plagued with poor storytelling. We grit our teeth and buckled down for more tales of the super teens. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I gotta tell you, every time we do that intro, I can't for the life of me think of what my lines are <laughs> until I start saying them. And it's huh. terrifying because <laughs> yeah, it's like be. it's because it's like I'm remembering them as they come out of my mouth. And I don't know who's <laughs> saying them. It's insane. And I dislike it thoroughly. Um, because if you were to ask me right now what the lines are, I don't know. They had empty, no thoughts. Only Legion of Superheroes. Oh. Um, speaking of Legion of Superheroes and heads being empty, we're doing more <laughs> of this content. I don't want to say literature because that's being polite. Um, it's their stories. They exist. They are words on page and pictures. Um, but we're just going to jump right into it. It's probably going to be a, a short episode as well because some of these stories we've covered before. However, some of these we haven't. Some of them are, I don't know, is passable being kind? I. Some of them are worth covering. Some of them are worth covering. There you go. That's a good point. So let's do that. Let's start with the, probably one of the few that's worth covering. Superboy, number 89, June 1961. The biggest important thing in this story is the introduction, the first appearance of the character Mon-El, M-O-N space E-L, much like Jor-El and Kal-El. Mon-El is uh, a young boy who crash lands on Earth who has amnesia. Superboy saves him and looks at his garb, Mon-El's garb, and goes like, wow, he's dressed like a Kryptonian. His, his outfit is the reverse of mine. Mon-El is in mostly blue with highlights of red. And or rather mostly red with highlights of blue and Superboy is in mostly blue with highlights of red. And he's like, oh, and all around his neck is a thing written in Kryptonese, which is not what it's called. It's Kryptonian. But we're going to forgive early 1960s Superboy writers uh, for making that a terrible way of saying it. It's not terrible. It just sounds wrong. You know? Yeah. Um, He's got Kryptonese around his uh, neck, and it's a little slate that's basically for uh, from Jor-El and uh, Lara on Krypton saying this is for our son. And Superboy just assumes that because he's got that, and he's got a space-age belt and an outfit that looks similar to him, and he looks almost exactly or similar to uh, Kal-El, that he must be Kryptonian, and he also must be his long-lost brother. And so Kal-El, with this amnesiac person named Monel uh begin to uh assimilate into smallville culture and they come up with a, a cover story for Monel saying that he's um a traveling salesman which is why he's never around which sure <laughs> okay um, it, it's he sells... worth noting that Monel is supposed like they can Monel at least looks at himself and says I must be at least 18 so yeah, Monel is presumed to be older, which I guess allows him to be a traveling salesman. He sells at all. He's like a walking Dollar Tree. He has he's not like a vacuum salesman or a carpet salesman or what was a traveling salesman at the time. He sells just a bunch of shit. 
how he got it without having a business and without actually having any stock and money, I don't care to think about because the implications are that he stole it. But I don't, I, I don't think we need to go around that. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be charitable and say he went through the garbage and he fixed things up. Yeah, let's let's be real nice and say that Monel dumpster dove for a bunch of stuff <laughs> and is effectively being a traveling goodwill. Let's say that. Um, yeah, yes, that that is exactly the vibe. It doesn't really matter for long because Clark becomes jealous of Monel. People really like him, and Monel also happens to have the same superpowers as Clark, so he's also superpowered so they can stop crime together as well. Uh, Clark begins to get jealous of Monel because uh, Monel sell something to Lana Lang and she is very fond of him for doing that but Clark seems to be like I was muscling into my girl and he tries to prove that Monel is not who he says he is um, because he realizes that Monel is not vulnerable to kryptonite like he is which must mean that he's not Kryptonian so to trick him Superboy paints a bunch of lead spheres like that look like comets to look like or meteorites that to look like kryptonite and throws them up in the air so that when they land he pretends to be hurt and to see if Monel goes along with the scheme to uh, solidify his own ruse of pretending to be Kryptonian. What he doesn't know is that Monel is not Kryptonian, he's from a planet called Daxum. So he's a Daxium, and Daxiums are deathly weak to lead. So in his wounded and near-death state, because he doesn't actually regenerate like a Krypton, uh, like a Kryptonian does with kryptonite, he his memory is finally restored, and he tells Clark, "Hey, I'm not Kryptonian. I crash-landed on your your planet, Krypton. Your parents helped me out. They gave me some stuff and said I should meet you when you land on Earth. My ship has been adrift for redacted, and." I have finally landed on Earth, but now, because of the lead, I'm almost dead. And so Superboy says, don't worry, I'm so sorry. Also, by the way, why did you try to make a move on my girl? And Monel was like, I didn't. I was just trying to make her like you because she's important to you. And Superboy's like, well, shit, I'm a bad person. Let me put you in the Phantom Zone. Let me put you in the abyss for the souls of criminals. To save your life until I can find a way to cure you of your lead weakness. So Superboy, who has completely destroyed this person's life, <laughs> yep. decides to damn him into Kryptonian purgatory with the worst of the worst. And just puts him in Kryptonian Oz. And just says be done with him i've been watching too much oz lately i finished the series don't watch it guys it's not good um <laughs> sorry look they undo a lot of character work at the end of that series and it's totally not a payoff and i feel bad for everybody Oof. who's involved in it because they're all great actors um that's a that's a well-made show that was poorly written uh anyway look this is a weird story for a lot of reasons the worst i think is crypt is <laughs> it's superboy nearly killing somebody else out of jealousy like, not yeah. that he meant to, like he wasn't trying to, but boy howdy, what a goof. And and it was a... So we're watching a lot of New Girl right now, and this uh, feels very much like a sitcom-like trick. It, it, people, it is a communication problem 
one person thinks, oh, this is what's going on. I need to get back at this person in a sitcom-y, playful way. This is a disposable story where, oh, everybody acts a little weird or gets a little amped up and does a thing that's a little out of character, but just kind of like a prank. It is just, oh, I'm, I'm going to have uh, this green painted uh, leaden rock and it's just going to be, huh, look at you, you're dumb, you're lying, you're a lying liar. Uh, and I mean, like that exact tone is what I'm hearing coming from Superboy in this, but but then it does damage, and it's not the damage that goes away. It is a story that is a disposable. It is a disposable story with a disposable character that the consequences actually stick around, and it is jarring in that way. This is as much a sitcom plot for Seinfeld or Friends, in the way that Jerry Seinfeld and Seinfeld has dozens of girlfriends over the course of the series whom he does something to or breaks up with in such a way that they just never are seen or heard from again. Or the people in Friends who are one-off characters who show up once and then the crew does something so horrific to make this person not want to be around them anymore that the only recourse is the Friends are left with each other. That's kind of the vibe I get from this. The, the dumb thing that just drives home how weird this story is in its like grander context, what name do we know this character by forever for? It's still Monel, a name that he was given by right. Kal-El when they thought he was a Kryptonian <laughs> and he was an amnesiac. Oh, God. And yeah, he never corrects him. He never tells him what his name yeah. is. He yeah. never goes like, by the way, my ne my name is Steve. It, yeah and <laughs> i i don't know this character we've seen him pop up in some other stuff that we've read uh i think probably some either some superboy or some supergirl stuff probably the latter uh superman but, as well i think there was a zod story yeah, that, or a, a phantom zone story and Monel was the only person who could help them yes yeah and he's still Monel at that point it's just weird right let alone, I got The reason I said redacted was because there is no given reason as to why he crash lands on Earth. He uh, just does. Uh, yeah. And I looked. I double checked when Super when Superboy finds the ship crashing. He doesn't say, "Ah, yes, the person's been in suspended animation for X amount of years," or the life support system conked out and he's been in a coma, or something's wrong with the ship. It just crashes. And when Monel is explaining the story, he just kind of explains it as if he has been looking for Earth this whole time. And for some reason, it's taking him this long. And I don't know astrophysics that well, but I don't really think the theory of time dilation existed at this point. So I would imagine that Monel should be older than when he landed on Krypton. And so there's a lot here that doesn't make sense because it's like, we don't know why his ship crashed. We don't know why he, w other than the crash, we don't know why he was unconscious. Why is he still so young? Because Superboy's like 15. If Monel was like 18 when he found Krypton, he should be like in his, what, like mid 30s? So what's going on here? Let alone the weirdest part about this, this has nothing to do with the Legion of Superheroes. There are no Legion of Superhero yeah. characters in this. I am assuming, going to go out on a limb here, and say that 
Mon-El eventually is freed from the Phantom Zone and becomes a member of the Legion of Superheroes. But I don't know, because I'm not a huge Legion of Superheroes fan, but what the hell's going on here? Okay, I, I was curious, so I looked it up. Do you want me to say? Absolutely. Brainiac discovers a cure in the 30th century for the lead poisoning. Fantastic. And he does join the Legion. So th- okay. this, is the, this is the thing. This is the thing that I keep coming back to when I look at these issues. None of this means anything. None of these stories mean anything or are anything special except for the future context of knowing what it's going to be. Like every single... It's like how we're saying... We've said in the previous episode that these are all like red kryptonite stories where it's just a thing happens... The Legion or a Legion character happens to be vaguely involved and then it's done. The only thing is that the that things ha- come back. That's the only reason any of this matters. Right. Is that someone somewhere down the line decides to do something with all this Mishigas. And I'm <laughs> thoroughly <clears throat> enticed to see what that is. Moving forward, Superman number 147, August 1961. This one was actually my favorite. It's kind of a one-off. It doesn't really mean anything, but at least there were parallels in this. The cover for this issue is almost a direct cover to the Action or Adventure Comics cover that had the first appearance of the Legion of Superheroes in it. Um, It is instead with older people, instead with these characters named Cosmic King, Lightning Lord, and Saturn Queen, um claiming that they will kill superman instead of on the original cover with cosmic boy lightning lad and saturn girl saying that they would reject superboy from the legion of superheroes i forgot about that i thought that was a nice parallel that's the most well thought callback in this entire thing (laughs) (laughs) i I think you could make an argument that it's just the most well thought out end of sentence it's the most it's the best part of these issues um, so the, the plot of this issue is that I think we actually covered this in our Superman coverage. Um, and I'm sure we did because it was vaguely familiar to me. Um, so Luthor contacts the Legion of supervillains cause he assumes that there is a Legion of supervillains if there's a Legion of superheroes and he asks for their help to help him defeat Superman. They oblige. And the three members of the Legion of supervillains that show up are cosmic King, lightning Lord and Saturn queen. Not to be confused with Lightning Man, Cosmic Man, and Saturn Woman, who are the grown-up versions of the Legion of Superheroes from Superman's day. Um, Long story short, the Legion of Superhero adult counterparts, Lightning Man, Cosmic Man, and Saturn Woman, show up to help Superman defeat the Legion of Supervillains and Lex Luthor. Hooray. Um, That was his... Again, I'm fairly certain we covered that. I'm not going to go into it to more detail because I'm pretty sure I went into it in just as much detail as when we did the Superman story. So I'm not going to do it again because you can go back to our Superman coverage and I'm sure we cover Superman number 147. Uh, Adventure Comics number 290, November 1961. Uh, Superboy fights an imposter who is pretending to be Sunboy, who is a member of the Legion of Superheroes, who is able to create very very powerful bioluminescence um and the imposter wants superboy's help building a robot that was stashed in different parts of the world in superboy's time that he will use to defeat superboy and then eventually the legion of superheroes superboy figures out that he's an imposter um stops him 
destroys the robot and brings him back to the Legion of Superheroes and exposes him as an imposter of Sunboy and they arrest him. Now, the second B-plot story that's going on underneath this that is only here for a single gag to make the Superboy story work is that there's a kid who breaks out of reformatory school who looks exactly like Clark Kent who runs away and starts to hide in Smallville um, after riding the rails for a few days and ducks into the Kent household and because Ma Kent doesn't have her glasses on she assumes it's Clark and tells him to get ready for school and this kid just straight up identity thefts Clark because Clark is out doing Superboy stuff so the kid assumes Clark's bailed on his home and just assumes Clark's identity and he is apparently so identical to Clark Lana Lang is fooled kids at school are fooled and even the Sunboy imposter who thinks that this kid is Superboy who uses the robot to try and change Superboy's entire identity to a complete reverse thinking that it will make Superboy evil changes the kid criminal's entire identity to a good because he's I guess inherently evil because he's in juvenile detention I guess which is a weird moral standpoint yep and that is the only reason that this kid exists is to turn him into a good citizen, but also be bait for this robot to attack the wrong person who isn't Clark Kent. Which allows Superboy to get the jump on them, destroy the robot, because they think that, oh, he's going to be bad, so he's coming over here to help us, but he actually got close enough to destroy the robot. This was such a bizarre story, and it again works off of the weird sort of idiocy of everyone around Clark. Mm-hmm. that this kid is so identical he looks exactly like Clark that he is able to pass dozens of people's scrutiny and I'm going to give him a pass on the elderly Ma and Pa Kent how did Lana not go like you're not Clark how did any teacher look at a kid and be like who are you and this is a thing that I, I make fun of all the time in comics we see this most noticeably and notoriously with Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor in X-Men, mm-hmm. where Madeline Pryor is an exact clone of Jean Grey, and only a couple people say anything, but Scott, Cyclops, doesn't see anything wrong with the fact that this woman looks, sounds like his ex-girlfriend who died. <laughs> Until the point where he does see something wrong with it. <laughs> oh, it's a great scene. <laughs> right, until he's like, wait a minute something's fishy or lest we forget the fact that clark and bruce clark kent and bruce wayne are apparently identical yeah that the two of them yeah, yeah are yeah. able to pass for each other out of costume frequently and and i think i am maybe charitable isn't the right word but I read that as, wow, how crazy. They look exactly alike. The uh, Prince and the Pauper situation. But right. that, the thing is, that, that ability to perfect, to so completely intentionally or not, well, semi-intentionally dupe other people into thinking, oh, you are Clark. You act like Clark. Uh, you are not, specifically, you are not putting, like sounding any alarm bells of this person isn't Clark Kent. You're just a little more active and a little less willing to take shit. 
on the other hand, that makes the ending, the, the bit where he gets like reversed by into being a good person by the Ray, so much worse for me because here is this character who successfully lived quote unquote normally for this like one day where he had the actual advantages of uh of a middle class like support network of of friends and parents being like yeah you you are you are one of us let us support you and be friends with you and take you to school uh, and you can have a class and if you are doing that and not setting off alarm bells you are i don't care whether the moral compass of this story is on a spectrum of law abiding to law breaking or like kind hearted versus like actively uh punishing or uh treating other people poorly that to me says either one of those metrics you're you're on like the good er side uh right yeah and then and then it gets flipped your your role gets flipped and you turn good mm. Especially my favorite part about that is when he eventually goes to class and he's like, oh, is this what school is? I like yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> and he enjoys and class. It's, and it's even worse for me because we have this demonstration of what he, not just what he could be, but he has this bit where he is involved in Superboy's life. Superboy has a personal stake in the fact that this person however you want to view the bullet he took he took a bullet for superboy by getting mistaken for him and superboy's response is effectively all right let the justice system do its thing it yeah. this is the comics code this is a story that yeah you could tell this story in a non-comics code time but this exemplifies the damn comics code yeah it's well, congratulations on not destroying school and being a law abiding <laughs> citizen of your own accord just to get free stuff, <laughs> but also seemingly because you enjoy the privileges of a middle class life with a support network. Thanks for getting hit and whammied by a supervillain for me. Go back to jail. And this time, <laughs> don't break out because you've been psychologically whammied to not want to. Can I. Can I shill for a thing for a minute? Go for it. So I, I have recommended this on uh, in the recommendation segment before. El Gunas Shiv, uh, a webcomic that has been running since Jan uh, January of 2002, I think. And the end of the first major story arc is the clone of the main character. Like, just ma magic happened. Uh, female clone happened. Uh and there's a chunk where it's just, okay, I don't know who I, I don't know how this works. And the conclusion of that story arc, spoilers, is, all right, this is a person. We are going to treat this person, Ellen, as a person. Uh, the friendly government agency is going to make sure we have enough money by, by rigging a lottery uh, to be able to care for Ellen. And Ellen is going to start school at the other school in town. And the amount of the, the difference in dignity between how uh, Tom Tanner is treated versus Ellen Dunkel is and, and then and then Ellen is a main character through the rest of the entire series. It, it and, just yeah, 
Yeah. Tom Tanner is the is the kid in question in the Superboy, by the way. We didn't name him yeah, because yeah, he never yeah. comes back again. But yep. yeah, the, the dignity there is just like, well, hey, like I could have I could definitely imagine Superboy being like, oh. Well, hey guys, this kid helped me. I just Maybe realized something that made this even worse. Oh no. Because this the writers employed the device that makes us think this character is more important and has value, Tom Tanner. It's not LL, but it's doing the same, like, starts with the same letter in the two names. They alliterate with him. Yep. You could just have that character, like, move in and just like, wow. (laughs) Clark Kent has a look like. Cool. That's a kid that helps Clark cover (gasps) occasionally. Because he he finds out that... He great. finds out that Clark is Superboy by virtue of being mistaken for him and attacked by a giant robot. And, um, so and, it's it is one of those things of like conceptually, I can definitely see Superman being like, "Well, hey guys, he doesn't need to go back to jail because he helped me out. He's clearly a good kid. Yeah. Whatever he did, he's made up for by saving me." And they'd be like, "Well, you sure are. You're sure right, Superboy. You know, keep on the straight and narrow, kid." And he's like, "You got it. I'm just gonna go like two towns over, or whatever." Yeah. And then, and then we just have like every once in a while when he needs uh, Tom Tanner's help, he can call on him to be the body double. We get the yeah. stuff like in in the modern day, you get him like. Uh, jumping <laughs> the same way that we have uh, uh, Lorna. I, I don't remember the name of the mermaid. Uh, oh, just Lord going from like Superboy comics to Superman comics and just, okay, yeah. you get the occasional guest star. God, can you imagine how great like him and Clark Kent or Clark Kent calling on him for a point where he has to uh, handle something with both uh, Lana and Lois? Just boom. Well, wasn't there a whole issue we covered back in superman where he went to every person that that lois thought was superman yeah like it was a a, a writer a pugilist of like a factory worker and like a government agent i'm like tom tanner should have been in that if he wasn't i don't recall but i'm like it would have been really funny if tom tanner is just one of the guys that looks like clark kent that lois has assumed was clark and he uses to double that he's not superman Body doubles aside, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to Adventure Comics number 293, February 1962. Happy New Year. The Legion of Superheroes is manipulated by a group of sentient brains and jars uh, that have massive telepathy powers that cause them to attack Superboy and render him useless so that they can effectively terraform and reconquer Earth. The Legion of Superheroes is released from the clutches of the uh, the brains in, in jars and realize that the brains don't think that there's any threat to uh, from them because they can be so easily controlled. So they find a bunch of super pets that cannot be controlled, apparently. Specifically, Crypto, Streaky, Comet the Super Horse, and Super Monkey. Now, okay. There's a couple things we got to talk about. Now, end of the story, the super pets help the Legion of Superheroes just defeat the brains. And they kick them off Earth, and Superboy's fine, obviously. However, obviously we know Crypto. It's Superman's dog. Streaky is Supergirl's cat. This is technically the first appearance of Comet the Super Horse. Really? This appearance happens in February of 1962, and Comet's appearance in Supergirl happens in September of 1962. I will note, in this appearance, 
Comet doesn't talk. Huh. That's weird because he's super chatty in all of the Supergirl stories. He's just referred to as Supergirl's horse. Comet that she has on some sort of stable in space and like a field pasture in space that she's got somewhere in the future. Because they pull huh. some of these pets from different times of Superman's life using their time traveling devices. Super Monkey, we've never covered because we don't really come to uh, Superboy comics all that frequently. Super Monkey apparently is a monkey that's stowed away on Clark's rocket from Krypton. That's as dumb as that sounds. <laughs> it is a yeah. Kryptonian monkey with superpowers. Um, so the Legion of Super Pets is Crypto, Streaky, Comet, and Super Monkey. Uh, there you go. That's a, your little fun fact for the for the Legion of Super Pets. Action Comics, number 287, April 1962. This is a Supergirl-centric story. Supergirl, uh, we've also covered this one in her coverage, uh, so I'll be doing it very quickly. Supergirl fights a bunch of energy creatures with the Legion of Superheroes, and it apparently takes their powers away from them, but really what's going on is there's a bunch of uh, morphing aliens who are pretending to be the Legion of Superheroes to get Supergirl out of the way in the Phantom Zone. And uh, they take the place of the Legion of Superheroes, and Supergirl defeats them and reinstates the original members of the Legion. Again, we cover that in Action Comics number 287 during our Supergirl coverage. You likely can go to that playlist and hear a more in-depth of that story. I think we quibble about whether or not Supergirl kills a bunch of energy beings and whether or not we count those as body counts. Oh, yeah. Because those are sentient creatures that she destroys, um, and I'm pretty sure we counted them. Uh, Adventure Comics number 289, June 1962. Supergirl plays matchmaker. Oh, God, this one. Okay. Yep. Look, yep. we covered this one pretty thoroughly in the Supergirl <laughs> coverage, too, because of how fucking crazy it is. This is the story where Supergirl tries to um, hook up Superman with a bunch of different women um, to, because she's afraid that he's lonely. So she tries getting historical figures from the past, which obviously doesn't work. She tries to hook him up with members of the Legion of Superheroes, but of course all of those members are paired up with each other, so every time she tries to get him to uh, date like Saturn Girl or Phantom Girl or whatever, they've already got a boyfriend or a husband. And then she takes him to a different universe or a different solar system where there is a woman who has exactly the same powers as him, and when he brings her to Earth with him, she's crippled by the radiation of the yellow sun and cannot stay there, and she goes back to her home planet. There is also the moment at which in this storyline, Superman wishes that he could date a girl just like Supergirl. We talked about that at length for this episode, or for the episode concerning this issue. It's not great. It was weird. It was a weird story. That is the end of our coverage for this episode. <laughs> What a what a note to end on. Um, boy, these stories suck. <laughs> yep. I don't... Look, I wasn't kidding when I said that these were, this was going to be a shorter episode because there's really not a whole lot to talk about, and I feel like we've talked about a primary amount of what's going on here, especially since we've covered some of these stories already. The best story, honestly was the future Legion of Superheroes fighting the Legion of Supervillains. Other than that, best is a relative term. It's yeah. not a great story. It is the best of this bunch. Yeah. It the word I, I don't even have any notes on it. Like I I wrote it down as just this story is a non entity. Uh it it is inoffensive. 
And sometimes, like, yes, that is an improvement. <laughs> right. And I think that's the thing is that in, in being nothing special, it is the best one. Yeah. Because these others are either so stupid or so lame <laughs> that you're like, I can't help but hate this versus that one is kind of like, oh, good. This is bad. The story with the Legion of Super Pets is nice because it's unique. Um, but also it's like, this is kind of lame in general because this is the story. It's just a bunch of people who aren't Superman dealing with a problem. So it's all... These were worse than the ones before them. Yeah, I think so. There's a there's a specific thing that I think makes this even worse. And it's worth remembering we are across four different uh four different comics uh it is six issues from four different comics so everything's oh there isn't a consistency in who is doing what necessarily although it's all under the same general umbrella but a lot of these comics have especially bad pacing and just tangents for not even tangents per se but chunks that are not that are in the story that aren't part of the story from a pacing standpoint, the, the one that especially gets me is Action 287. In 14 pages, here are all the different like micro-story arcs within it. There's a Superman fan club. Uh, Supergirl is protecting the secret entrance to her house. Uh, the Legion does a display for citizens. Positive Man... That whole thing of positive man and the uh, and the negative bird, uh, that's just two pages. Just two pages. Wizzy the super cat pretending the legionnaires are still empowered, and then the reveal of and battle against the chameleon people. N Those are not things that are directly, like, I would have folded them together if it was this thing develops smoothly into this thing, into this thing. Like, it's not... In the way that, like, the Android Saga and the Cell Saga are different, uh, these are separate, even though, yes, they're part of the same, like, umbrella story. But there is a clear, pretty clear demarcation. And frankly, I think there is a sharper demarcation than between those two sagas in Dragon Ball Z. And all of that, those seven different story pieces in 14 pages, nothing else is nearly as much like that in the rest of our the issues we covered but there are also just these bits that are just this doesn't do anything special uh there's <laughs> in superboy 89 there's when they go to the the planetoid or the moon or whatever and uh superboy has set his trap and there's going to be like the rain of green painted meteors there's a jack-in-the-box monster that they fight because the cover yeah. had it there's a whole digression yeah. about like a page and a half on I want to to solve this test that I'm taking in school. I'm just going to go back and find the origin of the Cinderella fairy tale. Yeah, that was arbitrary as all get out. Completely. And after uh, fighting the brain globes in 293, he just he has to fix the Earth's orbit. Yeah, there's a lot of afterthought stuff that's just kind of thrown in. Yep. And it's just weird. It this is it is the thing that it's more than weird. It is the thing that I am most comfortable saying is objectively bad because most of those are not adding anything to the story. They are ruining any sense of pacing. I just don't like it. And I know 
it's meant to be like cram everything in and all these cool different feats of strength or such, but I don't like it. I think it's subjectively bad. God, I forgot about him learning about the Cinderella story. Here's the craziest was... bit. Apparently, at least according to Wikipedia, that's actually the case. Like, that is the earliest recorded version of uh, the Cinderella story is a uh, the Greek uh, Strabo. Uh, Strabo uh, wrote down about a story that he had heard uh, about this... Uh, egyptian slave girl who uh her her shoe got stolen by a bird and dropped at the feet of a pharaoh and the pharaoh was like i need to find who this is because this is important and they got married and that's apparently the earliest version of the cinderella story in like 300 400 bc fantastic what a time to be alive <laughs> Like, I'm actually genuinely surprised by that because so many other things are just, you, you, maybe there's something here, but there's a directional issue, but, uh, yeah. There's, there is something to also to be said about that, the Jack in the Box thing, which I found insane to me, was <laughs> the leap of logic he went. He's like, this must have been left here by a race of toy builder i'm like dummy oh, that is just a giant jack-in-the-box in the middle of nowhere that is editorial fiat don't you try to make it sound like there's a space alien race of fucking toy makers i would read that comic in a heartbeat don't tease yeah. me with a cool idea and then do nothing for it to just vindicate or validate your silly little dumb plot device and and that's the other side of the coin from all of these stories is that so much of this just would matter not one bit if it weren't for the fact that we we know this is some pieces of it are going to come back. We know Monel is going to come back. Otherwise, a Kleenex story, utterly disposable. Yeah. <sighs> so that is that is how we hate these. We we, we shall not <laughs> count the ways, but boy howdy were these bad so i don't know yeah. if you have much more for these which is totally fine if we don't I i'm don't, fine like, moving on to recommendations yeah these are these are general with the exception of like the pacing i think these are bad in this in the same kind of way as the stuff from last episode was bad it, there's there's not a lot more to say <laughs> yeah i think that's fine i don't think we have to pad this Yep. I think we can have a short episode from time to time. I, I think I think I, the one thing I'll say, the one thing that I will say is we are in some ways doing this a disservice by reading these like all back to back to back to back in this way. It is worth stressing that this is that the Legion of Superheroes and the stuff that becomes the Legion of Superheroes is being sprinkled in or more accurately people are realizing uh, or introducing them as little bits, uh, little plot elements in a variety of different super family books. And it it's only in retrospect that we are gathering them and putting them together. So even though I don't like the other comics, the other stories that are in these issues either, it is abs we are absolutely taking them out of their original context. And if nothing else, that makes it feel different than if it were read in its original context. Absolutely. 
If yeah, still bad. If <laughs> yeah, these are still bad. But if anything, we're finding fascinating. We're seeing the evolution. Yeah, and that's has value? Question mark. <laughs> that being said, we're going to give you something that might have value. We're going to go on to recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend two things really quick. One, I've been playing the 2016 Doom. Mm. Man, that's a good game. Yep. Um, the earnest erstwhile and just absolute crazy attempt to give this more plot than guy goes into <laughs> hell and kills the devil is endearing and amazing, and I love it. Um, the plot is actually middling at best, but it's fun, and I don't think there's anything wrong with nothing that doesn't try to be like you know a game of the year naughty dog experience that's just like yeah these science gone wrong and hell beasts and then most of our lore is in data drops fine with that totally love it it's a satisfying game go get it if you can the music is amazing play it um yeah it can get to be a little visual soup and there is some photosensitivity warnings at the beginning well needed warnings it's fun play it the second recommendation i will give is the kyle higgins run of mighty morphin power rangers Oh, it's really good. I say the Kyle Higgins run because Kyle Higgins was the one helming, like I want to say, like several volumes up until the Shattered Grid storyline, which merged Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Go Go Power Rangers, which are two different comics for some reason. Um, nobody at Boom contacted me. I wasn't I wasn't asked to consult, so uh, I can't speak to their marketing strategy there. But I really enjoy it. Because, frankly, Kyle Higgins is a good writer and he writes this kind of procedural, serialized story very well. Um, It is worth reading if you are a millennial who wants to read something that isn't just for kids, but also isn't, like, grim and gritty. It is very much Legend of Korra, Young Justice levels of adult. In the sense of, like, yeah, we're going to talk about PTSD with the Green Ranger. And how Rita Repulsa shows up to him in his mind because initially he got his powers from Rita Repulsa. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about trust issues. We're going to talk about identity issues between some of the Rangers and stuff like that. I'm like, this is really good stuff that I would give to a young adult reader that also doesn't make Power Rangers like adult and serious more so than Power Rangers already is. It is in its, it's leaning into the like, these are giant monster is destroying a town the zords are crazy powerful but not to the point of like mass death and destruction and swearing and sex it's just like yeah there's still high schoolers that happen to be controlling what are effectively gundams that can destroy whole cities and the side stories that are in the back of the volumes are the continuing adventures of bulk and skull <laughs> oh my god yes which are archie-esque stories with those two bullies and those are incredibly nice palate cleansers from the serious power ranger stories to the opposite pendulum swing of the ultra goofy of power rangers the series in the bulk and skull comics being like yeah there was also stupid slapstick comedy in every episode of power rangers when they weren't destroying monsters made out of pumpkins that then grew to the size of buildings and fell on buildings. So I would definitely recommend it. You can get all the volumes, I'm sure. 
but it's a really good read. I've read three volumes so far and I want to get more. So that is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, I did a video on TikTok about it where I credit the whole team and you can go find that there if you so happen to follow me on TikTok. What is your name on TikTok? It is my name. Oh. Much like everything Fair. else on social media, <laughs> I try to make I try to keep things uh, pretty uh, pretty easy to follow. <laughs> so if you look for me, you'll like if you Google me, you'll likely find it. Do we do we say your last name anywhere in these? Pro, uh, John Solito, S O L L I T T O. I'm sure you can find me somewhere. Um, if you spell that and you look for me, I'm one of the four people that shows up because there's another John Salito who apparently did some stuff in some movies for a while. And there's a fashion guy who did named John Salito. Um, but uh, the rest of them usually end up being me. If you Google my name, I imagine if you Googled me right now, Matt, you'd probably be able uh, to I'm curious because I know what shows up if I look for myself. Yeah. Uh, oh, Okay, so I don't know whether this, I genuinely don't know whether this is because I, like, Google knows things about me, but your LinkedIn is actually the first thing that shows up. Hmm. Well, there you go. Then there's also see results about, results about John T. Salito, but that is on the side. The first thing that shows up is your LinkedIn. There it is. Gotta get that professional search. Anyway. Uh yeah. Yeah, I'm on. That's my my name on Twitter as well. Where if you desire to hear my thoughts on the comics industry as well as I my musings while I write, you can find you can find me there. I I need to double check. I I'm pretty sure I remember what the first thing. Yes. Uh, let, let me. So the first thing that shows up is, uh, yep, it is in fact. In memoriam, Matthew Yasuo Peiko, PhD, assistant professor of neurobiology, uh, deceased sometime in the past couple years. No. And the ironic thing is, I think he went to uh, UC San Diego uh, like a year or two before me as a uh, grad student. Because at one point I got an email that was meant for him. Oh. But it, yeah, okay. No, no, passed away no in relation, I'm assuming. No, not, I mean, not that I know of, uh, certainly. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, uh, Beko is apparently Cajun, bastardization of French uh, Pico. Oh, how about that? Okay, I had a recommendation that I was going to make, and then I remembered Gundam. Uh, and I'm actually... Just go watch Evangelion. Uh, but specifically, <laughs> if you're going to watch... <laughs> If you're going to watch Evangelion, so I, I rewatched the first two episodes of first like eh, three or four episodes of Ava uh, a couple weeks back. And then I rewatched them again because I wanted to watch and like take screenshots and write down notes as I went through them. Because the first two episodes of Ava are just nuts. The first two episodes are just nuts. Uh, minor. Uh, I'm going to do a structural spoiler. The. Start of the second episode, it, so the main character has gotten in the robot and is going to go fight the monster. And then stuff starts to go wrong, and he blacks out, and he wakes up and just in a hospital bed. And we get the rest of the episode is him just going through and dealing with the fact that, okay, I, I guess I signed up for this now, and adjusting. And it's... At the almost the literal end of the episode, 
that it actually flashes back to, and here's what happened during the rest of that fight that actually led to a, a victory. And just the sheer, A, the sheer guts in saying, you're going to wait for this. And then it's going to be so immensely satisfying. Just, oh shit, oh, we're back, okay, is amazing to me. Like that structure just absolutely blows me away when I rewatch it. The other bit is, <laughs> uh, the more th the more anime you watch, <laughs> specifically of the things that influenced this or that Hide Hideaki, I don't know, I think I'm remembering his name correctly, uh, worked on before, uh, really shows he doesn't have as many original ideas as I thought as a kid because I watched Ava first, then I watched First Gundam. And you should, if you are an Ava fan, and I know that is a deeply formative anime for a lot of people, including myself, uh, go watch original Gundam. Because especially having that context and saying, and here are the specific pieces that Anno decided to focus on and really drill down on, you can see how that influence, is, how that influence is, A, probably throughout the entire mecha space to large degrees, but also, B, definitely in Ava. It's interesting how so many early animes are that influential on mm -hmm. more contemporary. I say contemporary, even though Ava is not that contemporary, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, no, we're old. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it for us for this episode. Uh, give you give you some minutes back of your day. Uh, we're going to continue. We're powering through a lot of this. Hopefully some of this gets a lot better, but we're catching up to a lot of the 1960s stuff, so maybe they're going to start getting some ideas of what to do with these characters. But hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a good one. We love you all. See you next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While we knew the Legion would evolve over time, we couldn't help but feel like there were some real chances for them to shine that they just weren't being given. Hopefully we would be able to see something more than gimmicky returns for these powerful players stuck in the Super Family's shadows.